All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be here with you this morning. Got the fancy table up here. I just got a pulpit back home, so. Well, it is uh, exciting to be with you today. This is actually the first time I've ever preached in the UK. I've been to Heathrow Airport a few times, but uh, this is the first time actually getting out into the countryside and uh, to travel around a little bit. Yesterday, Paul took me to see the roaches. I thought I was going to see these uh, giant bugs. I didn't know why <laughs> he wanted to take me to see those, but I was blessed to, uh, to see there were some nice rocks and uh, have a great look over the, over the valley and uh, saw some people skiing without snow. I didn't know that was possible, so um, that was also eye-opening for me. Never heard of dry, what do you call it? Dry? Dry ski slope. Come to Canada, I'll show you how it's really done, okay? <laughs> and then I had some oat cakes yesterday. Those were fantastic. So uh, I'm getting a little bit of a, an experience today. You know, uh, when I was about 21 years old, a British lady came to my church. I was a pastor's kid. I was hiding in the background, uh, feeling all these expectations and running from them. And uh, this lady came to my church. She didn't know who I was, didn't know I was a pastor's kid. And she preached one of the most powerful messages I had ever heard. She gave an altar call. I responded in my typical spot at the very back uh, where nobody could really see me responding. And uh, next thing I knew, she pointed her finger at me and gave me one of these and uh, called me onto the stage. And she began to prophesy to me to come out of hiding, uh, that God had a call on my life to preach the gospel. I went, <coughs> I, I went down on the floor <laughs> Uh, was weeping, and at one point she whispered in my ears, and she began to say to me, you've dreamed of preaching to hundreds and thousands of people, which I had, but I had never told anybody. And uh, she said, one day God's going to give this to you. Uh, and uh, her name was Rachel Hickson, and uh, she took me to Africa the first time, and it was about 20 years later when that prophetic word came true in my life, uh, where I began to preach the gospel to, to thousands of people. And so I was just thinking of that this morning. I owe some of my, of my life uh, in ministry to a British woman who I, I love dearly, Rachel Hickson. Well, today I want to talk to you uh, on the subject of breakthrough. How many of you are here this morning and say, I could use a breakthrough in some areas of my life? I can tell you that as a pastor, I've got a few situations in my church right now where I need a breakthrough. We need a breakthrough. We have some situations where I'm saying, God, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I don't know what we're going to do here. Some tough challenges that we're facing. I can tell you that in my personal life, in my personal family, I have some situations, we have some situations where we need a breakthrough. I'm sure many of you here this morning can relate to this. Some of you need breakthroughs in your families. Some need breakthroughs in your finances. 
as churches, we need breakthroughs in our community. Some of us have dreams and visions that God gave us years ago that are still yet to come to pass. And we say, God, I need a breakthrough. Every one of us has areas in our life where we could use a breakthrough. There was a time in scripture when King David defeated the Philistines and he had this great victory over them. And he said these words in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 20. The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. The, the image that's, that, that is presented to us here is like a dam that couldn't hold back the water. The water burst through the dam and began to flow. And David says, this is what God did to the Philistines. Like the breakthrough of mighty waters, he broke through my enemies. And so he named that place Baal Parisium, which means Lord of the Breakthrough. We said this morning in worship, I think there's like a thousand names for God or something like that. I'll tell you that one of my favorite names for God is this name, Baal Parisium, Lord of the Breakthrough. Sometimes I start my prayers with Lord of the Breakthrough. I love this expression. The God who David served, who he said, I'm going to call Baal Parisium is our God's. If I just left the message right there, that should encourage us. The God that we serve is Lord of the breakthrough. So whatever situation where you're saying, God, I need a breakthrough this morning, the God you're praying to is the boss of breakthroughs. Nobody does breakthroughs like God is basically what he's saying. He's the boss of the breakthrough. That's who we're praying to. That should encourage us. It's his desire to break through in our lives. When I study scripture and look back at some of the breakthroughs that I've experienced in my own life, I realize that there are some keys to unlocking the breakthrough power of God. I'm sure there's many keys, but today I'm going to give you one, possibly two. We'll see how much time I take. When am I supposed to be done by? Oh, I got a countdown. Ah. Wow, you guys give me a little more time than they give me at home. <laughs> See if we can get to the two keys. Here's the first key to unlocking the breakthrough power of God. Number one, start moving. Start moving. There's an amazing story in the Bible of a man named Jonathan who experienced a breakthrough in a tough spot. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, the first king in Israel. The Philistines were the enemies of Israel and had been oppressing them and, and uh, had them under their thumb. And one day, Jonathan decides he's going to do something about it. And so he takes a group of guys and he goes and attacks a garrison of the Philistines. And he, and he wins the battle, but it was actually uh, caused a problem. He just made things worse because... The word spread to the Philistines that they had been defeated in this garrison and they hated the Israelites even more. And they gathered their armies in response. And the Bible tells us that the Israelites became a stench in their nostrils. So Jonathan just made them mad. He just poked the bear is what he did. And so the Philistines assembled their armies at a place called Michmash. And the Bible tells us that their army was as numerous as the sands of the seashore. 
And so King Saul sends word. Uh, he sends messengers all over Israel calling the men to come and, and, and join the army to fight the Philistines that had gathered. Well, as the men of Israel come and they see how many Philistines there are, they begin to panic. They, some of them begin to run and they're hiding in holes and cisterns in the ground. They're terrified. Saul's army, his army itself is panicking and they begin to desert Saul. Saul's waiting for Samuel, the prophet, to show up to pray and offer sacrifices to God Samuel says, I'll be there in seven days, but he didn't show up. And so Saul is getting panicky because he's losing his men fast. Everyone's deserting him. Samuel hasn't shown up and he's like, I can't wait for him anymore. So I'm going to offer the sacrifices myself, which was a sin against God. He didn't have the place to do that. And of course, as he's finishing the sacrifice, who should show up but the prophet Samuel? And so Samuel rebukes King Saul, said, you had no right to do this. God is going to take the kingdom away from you. Jonathan, his son, in a sense, loses the king, the, the, his future as the king that day. And I'm sure Jonathan is thinking to himself, this situation just goes from bad to worse. I just wanted to, to free my nation, to, to be a mighty warrior. I go and I think I'm doing something well, and all hell breaks loose. I just made things worse. The Philistines are angry at us. They've assembled this massive army. My father has failed in us in leadership. I've lost the kingdom. It's gone from bad to worse. On top of that, the scripture tells us that the Philistines would not allow blacksmiths in Israel in case they would make swords and shields and all these things. So there was only two swords in the whole country. Jonathan had one and Saul had one. So Saul is left with only 600 men. Everybody else deserts him. 600 men to fight this mass of Philistines with two swords. How many of you would agree this was a situation that was desperate for a breakthrough? And so here is Saul with his 600 guys and he goes to the outskirts of a place called Gibeah and the Bible tells us that they camp out underneath a pomegranate tree. Now I guess if you're hiding out you might as well be comfortable and have some good snacks available. This is the background. This isn't the story. This is the background to the story that we're about to talk about. Israel needs a breakthrough, but everyone is hiding. No one's doing anything. Everyone is overwhelmed with the impossibility of the situation. Everyone has become paralyzed as a result. Now, maybe some of us can relate to this feeling today. Some of you are perhaps in impossible situations. And it seems like there's no way out. There seems like there is nothing that you can do. Many churches and Christians, I find, are overwhelmed and even paralyzed because of the opposition that they are under. Many are desiring a breakthrough. Many are hoping that somehow that it's going to just come, that, that God's going to send revival. Revival's the answer to everything. God just send revival and it'll all be good. That'll fix the problems. 
I think there are many that are hoping like Saul that they can just stay in a comfortable spot underneath the fruit tree and somehow God's just going to take care of it all. And we love to sound really spiritual as we're hiding underneath the pomegranate tree by, by using scriptures like this one found in Exodus 14, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You just need to be still. The Lord's going to fight for you. Just be still. Of course, Moses had spoken these words to the Israelites as they were panicking at the Red Sea with the, with the Egyptian army closing in on them. And, and Moses says to them, hey, don't, just relax. The Lord will fight for you. Just be still. Or we say, I know we need a breakthrough, but as King David said, the battle's the Lord's. It's his battle. But have you ever noticed the next verse in Exodus 14, 15? Moses says to the people, you just need to be still. The Lord's going to fight your battle. And God responds to Moses in the next verse. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move. Moses is saying, be still and see the salvation of your God. And God is saying, Moses, tell them to move. When did David say the battle is the Lord's? He said it as he was swinging the sling over his head, running to face the giants. He said it while he was on the move. You see, I believe that breakthrough becomes possible when we become people who move. I've always loved the, the quote by Reinhard Bonnke, the great evangelist, when he said, God goes with the goers and moves with the movers, but he does not sit with the sitters. Jonathan understood this. As Saul was lying under the pomegranate tree with the army, Jonathan reaches a point where he can't take it anymore. Somebody's got to do something. And so he turns to his armor bearer and he says these words, come on, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father, take note of that. We'll get to that in a second. The Philistines were camped on one side of a cliff, on one side of a big ravine, and the Israelites with Saul were on the other side. And Jonathan says to his young armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. That's a good armor bearer. Now, the statement that Jonathan makes here is interesting. He says, let's just do something. Maybe God will move. If we move, maybe God will move is essentially what he's saying. Jonathan understood that the size of the army was irrelevant if God was acting on your behalf. He understood that if you only have one sword between two guys, that's enough if God is with you. Jonathan understood that breakthrough was never going to happen unless somebody took action. You see, church, difficult situations can lead us to despair, but our despair should provoke us into action, not into hiding. Amen. 
Jonathan could have been lamenting the fact that he had stepped out to fight earlier and had just made the Philistines angrier. He could have been discouraged by the failure of his father to lead, by the fact that he would never be king because of his father's sin. But Jonathan never lost faith in what God could do, and he never lost his sense of expectation of a breakthrough, and so he decided, I'm going to get moving. Jonathan knew that the battle was the Lord's, but that the Lord fights his battles through those who choose to act. And so in verse 8, he continues, come on, we'll cross over towards them and we're going to let them see us. We're going to come out of hiding. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are and we're not going. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistines. Ta-da! Here we are. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes that they're hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. But those were the words that Jonathan was waiting to hear. As soon as he heard them say, come up to us, he said, we got this. We got this. This is the sign. So Jonathan says to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. There's no doubt. Perhaps the Lord will move. He knows the Lord is going to move. He's seen what he was looking for. And so they climb up. I kind of, do you have Princess Bride? Did you have that movie here, Princess Bride? I always imagine, you know, like the guy climbing up the rope on the sun. He climbs up. He's got the uh, armor bearer behind him, using his hands and feet. And it says the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Now, I think Jonathan went first because he needed to kill somebody to get a sword for his armor bearer. But notice here that it says in the first attack, they killed 20 men, two of them. One sword, two men. Killed 20, 20 men, that's impressive. But the momentum was just beginning to build. At this point, the scripture tells us that panic begins to hit the Philistines. As they can clearly see, these two guys are not normal. They recognize something supernatural is happening here. Jonathan's step of faith has released the power of God. As Jonathan has moved, God has come to fight on his behalf. God, the Lord of the breakthrough, has begun to move. And the Bible tells us that the ground literally begins to shake under the feet of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And suddenly such a panic comes into the Philistines that they are swinging and, and fighting each other. And they're running away and confused. And Saul's got some guys that are, that are doing the lookout thing. And they're going, hey, Saul, something crazy's happening over there. The Philistines are running away. And, and so they, uh, Saul realizes what's going on. And so he says, well, let's go join in the fight. And, and so the, they, the army begins to run after the Philistines. And all of a sudden, all these guys are coming out of their holes. Guys that were totally disengaged on the sidelines are now in the action. 
And they have this incredible victory. How did it begin? How did breakthrough start? It started with one man with a revelation and a sense of expectation that God could do anything and that breakthrough was possible if somebody would begin to move. When we first came to our city in Regina, I was 13 years of age. My father was a pastor. Uh, we pastored in a small town church in, a, in another province. And the church in Regina at that time had been like a mother church to us. But they were in trouble. Their pastor had had a moral failure. The church was two million Canadian dollars in debt. This was in the late 80s. Uh, the banks were foreclosing. The church was deserting. There had been all sorts of uh, control issues and abuse from the pastor. The place was a mess. Nobody in their right mind would ever come and take over such a church. But my father had heard the Lord tell him he was moving to Regina to pastor, pastor the church. It was crazy. I was only 12 or 13 years old, but I, I lived through this incredible stressful time. My mom cried four hours all the way to the city. She didn't want to move there. It was a mess. And my dad tells a story one time of one of the guys on the leadership team at the time came to my dad and said, uh, you know, with $2 million in debt in the bank threatening them, give me one good reason, Dave, he said to my father. Give me one good reason why we shouldn't just shut the church down and declare bankruptcy. And the Spirit of God stirred something in my father and he spoke back to him and he said, because God didn't send me to Regina to perform a funeral. God sent me here because he's going to do a resurrection. I don't know how he's going to do it, but somehow he's going to do it. And he tells me, he, I've heard him tell this story many times of, of, you know, they would have leaders meeting till midnight, one in the morning, trying to figure out what they are going to do. And he tells the story that one night there was about five or six guys sitting around the boardroom table. And he said, we literally had a mound of bills on the table, unpaid bills on the table. And he said, we were just sitting, staring at the bills. We were absolutely paralyzed. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to get out of the mess we were in. And so we were literally just staring at the pile of bills. And then he said, suddenly I just plunged my hand into the pile, pulled out a bill, opened it up. It was for $300 we owed somewhere. He said, do we have $300? And they said, well, yeah, we've, we've got $300. He slapped the bill down on the table and he said, well, then let's pay this one. And he said, something happened that night. We started to move and suddenly God began to move. Within a year... We were debt free, debt free. And we were homeless. We had no church. We had to rent back the very building that we used to own. Humbling. A few years later, we bought a small school. We have a Christian school. We bought a small, it used to be a public school. We bought this small school, paid for it within a couple of years. A few years later, we bought a 70, about a 65,000 square foot building. 
If you were to build it today, we've been told it would cost over $30 million to build. We got it for less than a million dollars. There's so many stories I could tell you in there involved marching around the building and all sorts of crazy stuff. Over the last 15 years, we've given over $4 million to missions as a church. We can tell you what happens when you begin to move. We have seen God move on our behalf. Twelve years ago, I took over the church from my father. And uh, my dad is like a hero to our church. He was the man who, he was like Egypt or Moses who led them out of Egypt, you know, and uh, brought them out of debt and into prosperity and blessing. And so here I am as the pastor, and my number one fear taking over as the pastor was, you can't screw this up. My dad took over a mess, I took over health. And so it was like, you can't screw this up. And so for the first few years, I, I didn't change nothing. It was like, I don't want to rock the boat. I, you know, this, life is good. But then God spoke to me one day out of the story of Joshua, and he kind of said, you know, your, your dad brought them out of Egypt to the promised land, but I'm calling you to lead them forward. It's time to move. It's time to go forward. And so I preached this whole series called Go Forward and talked about Joshua. And as part of this, we began to meet as a leadership team, and I felt really stirred. It was time for a building project that we needed to add on to our existing building. We had no foyer and this kind of stuff. And so we agreed that this was the Lord. And so I was going to, on the last message of the series, I was going to tell the, sort of launch this, this, uh, this building fund and this new project. And I was going to tell the church, you know, God has brought us out of Egypt and we have all these stories to tell, but God wants to write new stories. I'm tired of talking about the old stories, what God did back then. God's got new stories for us to write. It's time to go forward. I had the message all prepared. I was pumped about it. And then I began to panic because the enemy began to whisper in my ears. Your dad is the one who brought them out of debt and out of slavery, and you're going to lead them back into debt. Your dad brought them out, you're, you know, brought the church to health. You're going to bring it back into destruction. And I was panicking. And I was like, God, is this you? And so I went to the church on the Saturday night to pray. And, and I was, uh, we were uh, about to go hire an architect. An, to hire an architect to draw up the plans was going to cost us $40,000 just to hire the architect. And so uh, I was going to tell the church, we're going to take the first step and hire the architect. So I go to the church to pray. I'm having all this doubt in my mind. And Lord, is this you? I don't want to tell the church to go forward if you're not telling the church to go forward. And I don't want to lead us back into financial peril and all these things. And as I'm praying, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes on me. And I just hear the words that God spoke to Joshua. I was preaching on Joshua and I felt like God said to me, what did I say to Joshua? I said to him, be strong and very courageous. And I felt like the Lord was just saying to me, Joel, be strong and very courageous. And suddenly, as I'm sensing the Holy Spirit exhorting me to be courageous, 
this bold prayer comes out of my mouth and I and I begin to declare what we were going to do and who we were going to be. And I said to God, then tomorrow, confirm your words. You said you confirm your words with signs and wonders and miracles. Tomorrow I'm going to say, God has said it's time to go forward. I'm asking that you would confirm your word. Give me a check for $40,000 tomorrow to pay the architect. As soon as the words came out of my mouth, I was like trying to reel them back. Like I knew that they came. It wasn't like something I thought about. It just rolled out of me in prayer. It was kind of like, whoa. I went home, I got up the next day, I preached uh, in the first service, people were excited, it's time to move, woo new stories, yeah, let's do it. Second service, I'm preaching the message, I've forgotten about my audacious prayer the night before. And so I give the message, everybody's excited, people are cheering, yeah, it's time to go forward. And this lineup of people comes after I'm preaching, you know, shake my hand, we're with you, pastor, let's do it, come on. And, you know, they were with me, it was awesome. And so this line is formed in front of the stage after I finish, but I see this man at the back of the line who I've never seen before. And he's holding his his hand like, like a fist, but I see this little piece of paper sticking out of his fist. And in my mind, I hear, he's got your check. At that point in time, I could care less about the rest of the people in the line. I just wanted to get to the back of the line and see this man. And so he comes to me and I introduce myself. He says, great message, pastor. Uh, I said, I've never seen you before. He goes, yeah, this is the second time I've been in your church. And he says, yeah, I'm a businessman. I'm thinking, yes. <laughs> he said, I, I got to be honest, uh, pastor. I, I missed most of your sermon. Oh, really? He said, yeah, when you started to preach, he said, uh, he said, well, here's what happened. He said, I, I buy and I sell property. And, and whenever I make a profit, I always tithe to a Christian organization. He said, a month ago, I went to tithe to this organization. I had the check all written out. And when I went to give it to them, the Holy Spirit said to me, no, not this organization. So I tore up the check. And I've been waiting for God to point out to me who I should tithe to. I'm in your church, I hear you starting to preach, and the Holy Spirit says to me, go home and get your checkbook. So I missed most of your message, because uh, I was home to get my checkbook. Uh, he says, but I heard you said that you were going to take the first step and hire an architect. He opens up his hands, he says, here, go get an architect. It was a check for $40,000. We thought the foyer was going to cost us $500,000. It ended up costing us $2 million. I never would have had the faith to do it had I known. Thank God he tricked me. We paid cash for it. We paid cash for it. We were $2 million in debt at one point in our history. Today we're debt free. We're giving millions to missions. And it started with one man plunging his hand into a pile of bills and saying, can we pay this one? When we moved, God began to move. Do I have time for the second point? I got 10 minutes according to the screen. I'll do it in 10. Church, do you need a breakthrough? Go climb a cliff. 
Second key to breakthrough that I've experienced in my life is that you need to listen to the right voice. One of the things that I've discovered in this journey of faith and in pursuing breakthrough is that the battle is really about who we're going to believe. In the story of Jonathan, it's interesting that it tells us that he didn't tell his father what he was going to do. He didn't tell anyone else except his armor bearer. I think he knew that his father had no faith in the moment. Neither did anyone else. If he would have told them what he was thinking about doing, they would have said, you're crazy and would have talked him out of it. I'm not sure that Jonathan was totally convinced. I mean, we read it. He said, perhaps the Lord's going to fight on our behalf. But I love his armor bearer. His armor bearer says, Jonathan, go for it. I'm with you heart and soul. There is such a lesson there about the power of encouragement and the need we have to encourage one another. When you encourage somebody, you give them courage. And this is what happened to him. There's such a lesson about the need to hear the right voice. Jonathan had to choose in this moment what he was going to believe. On the one hand, he knew God was not limited, yet the last time it hadn't gone so well. I can tell you from experience that when you've been disappointed in the past, there is a powerful voice that speaks to you that can paralyze you and keep you from your breakthrough. It's a voice that says you failed before. What makes you think you're not going to fail this time? It's a voice that I call the voice of why bother? Look what happened last time. Why bother? Jarius in the New Testament heard this voice. Jarius had done something radical. He had fallen at the feet of Jesus and cried out to him for a breakthrough. His daughter was on her deathbed. And Jarius placed his trust in Jesus, even though he was a synagogue ruler and this would not have been popular. It was pretty radical for him to come and fall at the feet of Jesus and say, come to my house and heal my daughter. And Jesus responds to Jarius' faith and his desperation. He says, sure, I'll come to your house. But as Jesus is on the way to Jarius' house, he gets distracted by another woman who was desperate for a breakthrough. Another woman who had begun to move. And she had pushed through a crowd of people and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and got her miracle. But while she was getting her miracle, Jarius lost his. And his servants come and tell him in Mark chapter 5, verse 35, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? She's dead, Jarius. Why bother? What are they saying to Jarius? It's over. You failed. Quit. There's no point in continuing. Why bother? I tell you, church, that voice, why bother, is so paralyzing. I've heard it many times in my life. But notice what Jesus does and says at that moment. Overhearing what they said, Jairus, or Jesus looks at Jairus and says to him, Don't be afraid, just believe. Church, this is the great paradox of faith. On the one hand, we have this Holy, uh, Holy Spirit stirring us and provoking us to great faith. We get the visiting preacher come in, tells us his best stories. 
And something inside of us is beginning to ignite. Something inside of us says, you know what? I think I'm going to take a move. I think I'm going to make a move. It's time to move. Yeah, it's time to move. But then the voice of the enemy says, yeah, but the last time you took a move, what happened? The last time you prayed for the sick, they died. The last time you said, I'm going to give and believe that God's going to give me more. He didn't. And this voice of why bother becomes a paralyzing voice. Vision and hope are dying to explode on the inside of us. But at the same time, we have the devil whispering in our ears, why bother? On the one hand, God is saying, I'm the God of the impossible. I can, I'm the God who can do above and beyond what we, you can ask or think. And on the other hand, the devil is whispering, you failed before. Why bother? Notice that Jesus didn't tell Jairus how it was all going to turn out. He didn't just say, Jairus, relax. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to your house. This is going to be so awesome. I'm going to come. Everybody's going to be like weeping and mourning and all these things. I'm going to come in. I'm going to go, hey, why are you guys all crying? The child's just sleeping. And then they're going to look at me like I'm crazy, like I'm nuts. Then I'm going to go into the house. We're going to just push everybody out to the side. And then I'm just going to go, hey, come to life. And, and then I'm going to go out and ta-da. And everybody's going to be like, this is nuts. <laughs> he doesn't say any of this to Jairus. Doesn't tell him what he's going to do. Doesn't give an explanation. He just looks him in the eye and says, Jarius, don't be afraid. Just believe. You see, you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to know that God is for you. And just trust him and believe. One of my first trips into Africa preaching crusades. This is probably my, I guess it was my third year. We've seen God do amazing things by this time. My mom and dad have never seen me preach in, in, uh, in the crusade setting. And so they were on the trip and my wife was there and we were in a village in Uganda called Rukinjiri. When I showed up in uh, Rukinjiri, we get to the outskirts of the city. I'm there with the team. The bus stops. I'm like, what's going on? Police cars are pulling up everywhere, sirens flashing. And I discover we're getting a police escort into town. The mighty evangelist Joel Wells is here in the police escort in the parade. We had cars. They, my, my picture, my poster was plastered all over the cars. Sirens blaring, marching band. I'm like hiding in the bus. I'm like embarrassed. I got a friend who's blind, who's hanging out the window going, I'm Joel Wells, come to the crusade. <laughs> he was loving it. We marched through the streets. When we finally reached Rukinjiri, I got out of the bus. I'm like waving like I'm the queen. It was... Uh, it was humbling. For me, I felt tremendous pressure. Oh no. They have all this expectation. They think I'm this mighty evangelist. I'm going to come in and they're promising miracles and signs and wonders. And I can't do any of that. 
and I just wanted to hide. I preached the first night. We had a nice crowd there, I don't know, three or 4,000 people, and I preached, and we had a good response to the gospel, and we prayed for the sick, as we always do, and we, we had some great testimonies on the stage. Well, pretty good testimonies. You know, I had a pain in my stomach, and it's not there anymore, and well, that's, how do I know for sure, you know, my skeptical mind. And I kept looking out over the crowd, and I had never seen so many lame people, mute people. It seemed like I met a number of uh, uh, boys that night who were mute on the way to the bus afterward. Like, I'd never seen such illness. It was just crazy. And so, yeah, we're having some of these nice testimonies on the stage, but looking out over what was there, it was just like, oh, we get back to the hotel, and my mom bursts into tears. And she said, it was, a, it was a great night, Joel. She said, it was a great night. She goes, and then she just starts weeping. And she goes, but there's so many lame people and so many blind people and so many mute people. I've just never seen, you know, just such devastation. And, and you know what I was hearing in my ears? You're failing. Your own mother thinks you suck. <laughs> Get on a plane, go home. Why bother? You're not the great evangelist. I went to bed that night, got up the next day feeling just depressed, feeling like a failure, feeling that hearing the voice, why bother? The band goes to practice. I stay home that afternoon to get a little bit of a nap, and I'm trying to pray, and it's not going very well. And, and so I, I think, oh, just if I could get a little rest, maybe that'll help. And I'm laying there in my bed, and suddenly I wake up in my bed, like just jolt, like sit up in my bed. It was like, it was like this current went through me, like zzz. And I bolted up in my bed, and I heard in my Spirit, Joel, get out of my way and I'll do the miracles. I, I was looking around like, is, is my wife here? Is she going to think I'm crazy? Because it was just such a like, and I'm like, did I just dream that? Was that an audible voice? Like, I didn't know what it was just, but something I just kept hearing. Get out of my way, Joel, and I'll do the miracles. And what I knew God was saying to me was, you can't do it. Quit trying so hard to do it. You're just getting in my way. Move out of the way and I'll do it. And this faith rose on the inside of me. And I said, okay. I believe. I'm going to preach as bold as I can. And then I'm going to get out of the way. And it's your show. Sounded great until we were driving to the crusade. And the heavens literally opened. Not the spiritual heavens, but like the rainy heavens downpour we get to the crusade it is torrential rains i mean the band is trying to play there's a, there's a covering over the stage but the wind is blowing the rain in from the sides so we're holding up a tarp to the keyboard player to keep the keys from drowning we had a tent set up there where we were doing a pastor's conference most of the people were hiding underneath the tent you know uh and the the rest of the people had taken about 1500 plastic chairs and were standing in the rain the chairs over their heads like umbrellas so I get up to preach 
I'm preaching to about 1,500 holding chairs over their heads, standing. They stood in the pouring rain while I preached my entire sermon, holding a chair over their head. The rest of the crowd of two or 3,000 people was huddled underneath this tent on the side of the stage where I couldn't even see them. It was the weirdest preach I've ever done. Everything inside of me is like, you're failing. This is going to be a disaster. Why bother? But the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, get out of my way. I'm going to do the miracles. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to move. I gave the invitation that night. At that point in my life, it was the biggest altar call I'd ever seen. People came pouring out from behind the stage, in the pouring rain, in the mud, stand in front. At that point, the rain stops. I lead in a prayer of salvation. I say, okay, now I'm going to pray for the sick. And I'm going to pray for those of you who are oppressed by the devil. And tonight, you're going to see God do an amazing thing. I opened my mouth to pray, and that night I had authority like I've never had before in my life. We saw miracles that you won't even believe me if I told you. We had mute boys speaking on the stage. I interviewed a mute boy. When it was over, a lady said, this guy has carried water for me for 15 years. You've never heard him speak? No, I've never heard him speak before. I'm asking him, how do you even know what to say? Like, my mind's trying to understand. We saw crazy miracles. The amount of demonic manifestations, people being delivered in the mud, and it was absolutely wild. Are you ready, Paul? Yay, come on. So fun. So fun. I want to tell you that every time I go to preach these crusades, this voice of why bother rings in my ears. Who do you think you are? You know what? I go to the hotel every night, and I don't know whether to cry or to laugh. I laugh and rejoice at those that are handing their sticks and saying I've been free. Climb was lame. And I think of the kid in the wheelchair who tried all night to climb out of his chair and couldn't get out. Why bother? Move. Break. It's this paradox of faith. Church, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't let the voice of why bother paralyze you. I don't have all the explanation. I've asked Jesus many times, and he just says to me, Joel, don't be afraid, just believe. But I want more than that. He doesn't give me more. Don't be afraid. Just believe. I don't know what your situation is this morning. I know that there are things in this church God wants to give you a breakthrough. I have real anticipation. Paul, I have anticipation. You you guys as a church are on the verge of a breakthrough. I I think I could prophesy that. I, I think you've come through a a tough season. But something is shifting. If you guys will be people that move, you will see God do some supernatural things on your behalf. And I think there's a voice that says, yeah, Paul, we've heard this before. 
We tried before and it didn't work. I was thinking this morning during the worship, remember when Peter said, yeah, but I fished all night and I caught nothing. I did that once before. It wasn't too effective. But then he said, but God, if you're saying do it again, all right, I'll have a go. And when he moved, God moved. I think there's even some things that you've tried before that didn't work so well. And the Holy Spirit is saying, do them again. Do them again. And this time, the hand of God is going to come on them. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I'm over my time. I want to pray for you before I, I leave. Do we have a keyboard guy or something? Need a little atmosphere. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I feel like that, uh, I, I don't say this arrogantly in any way because there's nothing in me. But you know, when I preach, I, I honestly believe that God wants to use me. And so I just want to be a vessel and a channel. And I feel like that the Lord wants to use me this morning to just impart faith. I feel like the Lord wants to use me this morning to go after that voice of why bother? To provoke you today to action. Some of you have been paralyzed by that voice. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, it's time to move. Don't be afraid, just believe. I feel like God just supernaturally wants to impart faith this morning. And so if you're here, I just want to, we're not going to take a long time, but I want, I want to invite you to move. Maybe even symbolically, you need to just come and stand here at the front and say, say to the devil and to the Lord, I'm going to move. Some of you need to rise up against your enemy who's got you hiding in the comfort zone, hiding under the pomegranate tree, hiding in the holes, and you need to stand up and say, I'm going to move. I'm not listening to that voice any longer. And I feel like even just by taking a step of coming out of your seat and, and standing on the front, I'm an evangelist. I like altar calls. I want to pray for you, and I'm believing that God is just going to supernaturally, not because I have anything, but because the Holy Spirit is here to impart faith. And I just want to release that over you, even lay some hands on you. So if that's you, why don't you just come? Don't be shy. Presence of God is here. Just come. Just come. Just come. Perhaps some of you, the Lord's even been speaking, here's how I want you to move. Others, it's just saying, Lord, how do you want me to move? What's the next step look like for me? What does that mean for me? Do you speak in tongues in this church? Can we just lift our hands to heaven? Let's just pray in the Holy Spirit. If you know how to pray in the Spirit, just pray in the Holy Spirit. We're needing the Holy Spirit to come with a divine impartation of faith.
of boldness. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, courage arises. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, spoke with great boldness. It's the Holy Spirit who provokes us to move. It's the Holy Spirit's voice that silences the voice of why bother. And so Holy Spirit, we come to you today. We come to you today, Holy Spirit. We're asking Holy Spirit, would you fill us with faith? Would you fill us with courage? Would you fill us with boldness? We don't want that spirit of fear and intimidation. We want the Holy Spirit, the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And God, I'm asking today for the people of Breathe New Life Church that you would breathe afresh on them this morning in Jesus' name. Would you breathe life on them this morning in Jesus' name? Would you breathe fat, fresh vision upon them this morning? Would you stir up passion within the people of God today? Would you silence the voice of the enemy, the voice of why bother, the voice of despair, the voice of discouragement, the voice that says there is no way and God would you stir up by your Holy Spirit another voice that says by my God I can run through a troop I can leap over a wall by my God I will do mighty exploits by my God I will step into this Jordan River and it's going to part by my God I'm going to climb a cliff and there's going to be an earthquake Father for those that are crying out to you for breakthrough in finances breakthrough with children who are away from God we ask that you would begin to send an earthquake Send the enemy into confusion. Let the mountain shake under your power, O God. Let the impossible become possible, my God. In Jesus' name. Father, I'm asking today for an impartation of the gift of faith upon these believers. Supernatural faith in Jesus' name. 